Welcome to the York Story Slam podcast, where we feature select stories from our monthly open mic storytelling events in York, Pennsylvania. On July 17th, 10 storytellers share their stories with our audience at Holyhound Tap Room in downtown York. Our theme for the evening was hot mess. We heard stories about gastrointestinal distress, school dances, demoralizing jobs, and an oven catching on fire. Brian Spence won with his story about a day when he doubted himself. All right. Uh, yeah, first time here. I really had nothing planned, but you guys needed people, so let's see how this goes. Um, all right, so a few years ago, I was turning 30, um, and I really made a big deal out of it in my head. Um, I was, like, obsessed with this. I was like, this is a big milestone. I'm getting old now, and I see a lot of people in this room who have walked this earth longer than me who are just like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know. But, <laughs> but I did. I built it up. I was like, this is, this is a huge birthday. This is a huge deal. Like, what does this all mean? Um, so I actually had to work on my birthday. Um, so I get, up, I get up in the morning, and I go into the bathroom, you know, do your morning business, and I'm, I'll be frank right here, okay? I trusted a fart and it betrayed me, okay? And so I was like, whatever, so I happened in the shower, and I, but I'm going to where the whole time I'm thinking, I was like, I'm 30, and I'm getting so old, like my, my body is already, you know, just decaying. I was like, I just, I can't believe this. Like, I am a hot mess, like this is ridiculous. Okay, so, so here's the thing, so I'm, I'm a paramedic, and so I'm going into work, and I'm just like, people trust me. I was like, for the next 24 hours, people are gonna invite me into their homes but I just pooped myself this morning. <laughs> like, I have no credibility. So then I get to work and they tell me, okay, well, you, here's your student. You have a student today. And then internally I'm just like, oh, this is even worse. You know, so we go and we start going over the truck and checking stuff. We're talking about medications and pharmacology. And the whole time my inner dialogue or my, inner, my monologue is just like, you know, well, actually be a dialogue talking to him. I'm just like, don't listen to me. Like, don't listen to me, I pooped myself this morning. Like, I have no credibility. Like, oh, every word I say is just, you know, shot. Um, so we're doing that, and then, you know, I'm struggling with this internally, and then uh, a short while after that, we, we get a call. And it's for a, uh, a guy having chest pain. Run-of-the-mill thing when it comes out. You know, we, we get there and we pull up, and it's this guy, he was working on a house. There's like a contractor. He's sitting on the front steps outside of this house. Um, and we pull up and I can tell he's a hot mess. Okay, he's, he's white as a ghost. He's sort of leaning over on the steps. I can see the sweat dripping off him. Um, you know, I know this guy's having a heart attack. We, do, we, we bring him inside the truck and the student puts him on. We do an EKG and he's, he's having the big one. You know, so I tell my partner, I was like, Let, let's go. Let's get to the hospital. We need to get him to a cath lab. Um, and, uh, you know, the student does a good job. And this is a student, he's, you know, he's, he's very new. He's never even done CPR on anybody before. He does a good job getting the IV. Um, and then at one point, I just kind of look at the, the heart monitor, and all of a sudden, the rhythm has changed. And it's squiggly lines, okay? He's like, this guy just died. He's laying there, he's, he's unresponsive. And the student's looking at me like, what do I do? And I was like, do CPR. So do CPR, and this is one of the most remarkable things that I've ever seen in my career. Um, he starts doing CPR immediately, and the guy wakes up. The guy's eyes open up, and he's staring at me, and he's screaming. There's just enough oxygen left in his blood because he, his heart had just stopped. 
that by the student doing the chest compressions effectively, it got to his brain, it woke him up again. And the student's looking at me and he was like, what is this, you know? They didn't tell me about this, what do I do? So we stopped, I was like, hang on. And he went right back out again. I was like, do it again, keep going. So within a few seconds, I was able to grab the, the pads from our monitor and, and basically we, we shocked him. And um, so he did a little bit more CPR and it was like every time he would do it, like I would wake up. And it was this crazy thing though too because he's doing chest compressions. He's pushing on this guy's chest while he's, so he's screaming, but he's going, it's like a, it's like, ah, 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 It's the eeriest sound ever. But we did that, we shocked him, and then within seconds, he woke up. He was talking to us. So we got him to the hospital, and we took him to the cath lab, and we're, you know, there at the, you know, afterwards, back in the, in the truck, me and the student, we're talking, we're going over this, you know, what, what happened. Um, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And I'm thinking to myself, I pooped myself this morning, <laughs> but I think I'll be okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ryan earned a spot in our Grand Slam in November. Next up is Debbie Gable, who remembered a time her oven caught on fire while she and her kids were locked out of the house. I don't remember why we were making ribs, because I hardly ever make ribs, and Elodia never made ribs, but we were. So we put the ribs in a pan and put them in the oven. So this was a time in our lives where there was a lot of tension in our relationship and communication was not great. So I have this memory of just being in the house, the ribs are in the oven. I just wanted to get out of the house. So I took my two sons and we went for a bike ride. And when we left, Elodia and her, some of her family were there. Her brothers and sisters were there, there were nieces and nephews there. It's all good. So we go out for a bike ride and we don't have our keys with us because there's a lot of people in the house. And we're just going out on a bike ride, right? Yeah, so then when we came back, there was no one to be seen anywhere. The house was locked up. I didn't know where they went. And I'm looking in the kitchen window and I see smoke in the kitchen. So, and I'm with my two sons and so I'm thinking, huh, there's smoke in there. Like, I'm, ugh, I probably need to figure out something to do. And so James, my older son, says, Mom, I can break in the window, and I just lose it. I'm like, don't break anything. I don't have any money. I can't fix anything in this house anymore. We already had broken two screens when we got locked out. So he says, no, no, no. I can, I can get the window open without breaking the window. I said, all right, if you can get it open without breaking the window, please do that. So he goes over, and Elodie's brother Juan used to work on his car, and there's some kind of pipey thing sitting by the garage. So he gets it. We do have to break another screen. But he jimmies open the window, and we get in without breaking the window. So now we're in the kitchen, and there's smoke everywhere. And so I open the door to the oven, and these flames, the ribs are on fire. And so, you know, I mean, I, I'm a college-educated woman, so I get a dish towel, and I put it over <laughs> that. And it, in fact, does make the flames go out, but I think that my brain was kind of in overdrive, and I'm thinking, oh, like maybe the dish towel will catch on fire now? I don't know what I was thinking, but I took the dish towel back off, and the flames came back higher. <laughs> so I closed the door, because we all know less oxygen is better, so I closed the door, but it's still burning. So I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, it's a grease fire. We all know you can't put water on a grease fire, 
But then I'm thinking, but what do you put on a grease fire? And if I put the wrong thing, it might burn more. Who do I know that could tell me what to put on a grease fire? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'd call somebody. I'm thinking, well, I could call the kid's dad. Would he know? I don't think he would know. And so I'm, that's just where my head is at. And one of the kids say, Mom, do you think we should call 911? <laughs> and so from the moment that he says that, I think, oh, I think, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I probably, because I can't figure out how to get this fire out, even though it's a relatively small fire in the stove, I mean, in the oven, I, I, I don't know. So I say, okay, we'll call 911. So we call 911, and, you know, they're just go right into emergency mode. They're so serious, like, get everybody out of the house. Get them outside, get them off the porch, get them out of the house. So I'm just kind of like, okay, okay. So, you know, we go out, we're all out of the house. So while we're out in the yard, Elodia and her brothers and her nieces and nephews come home and we're all out in the yard and I'm telling them what's happening with the fire. So the first person that pulls up is a policewoman. So she pulls up at the front of the house, jumps out of the car, gets in her trunk and gets a fire extinguisher out. So I go up to meet her and I say, you know, the best way is in the kitchen. There's a back door. Come around the side yard. Come back here with me. She just, you know, comes in. I followed her in, my partner Elodia and her brother Juan. We all walk in, despite the warnings from 911 to get out of the house. We walk in and the policewoman looks at Juan and says, open the oven door. <laughs> what? And he just like, like, no. And he ran out of the house because he was a smart person. She opens the door. Now she, of course, she's a policewoman. She has no protective gear on of any kind. She opens the door. The flames come out. They go up to the ceiling. And then, I mean, she puts it right out with a fire extinguisher. So it's, it's really over. I mean, it's over at that point. So the fire trucks come after that and they put fans in to pull the smoke out. It causes a big commotion in the neighborhood. Everybody wants to know what's going on. And, uh, so it took us years before we replaced the stove. We just used just the, I mean the oven. We just used the stove for many, many years. I didn't realize how that traumatized my kids until we went on a vacation and they found out that the place we rented had a stove and they were like, oh my God, can we bake cookies? And, uh, <laughs> but eventually I did get another stove and oven, um, but we were not able to resolve our communication problems. Our final story on this month's podcast comes from Parthena Bowman. Par shared her story about her Molly Ringwald prom dress moment. So I'm Parthena Bowman, but most people call me Par, like in golf. And um, as a lifetime card-carrying member of the Hot Mess Club, I've learned a few things. And I, I need to surround myself with people who help me get through these hard times. Uh, people who make me laugh, take a deep breath, and regroup, and really just are, are my partners in crime through the crazy escapades. I also need to not seek out adventure. I generally tend to play it, play it safe. So in 1991, I decided I was going to have my Molly Ringwald moment, and I was going to sew my own prom dress. So I, I and being risk averse, I needed a date, so asked the guy who sat behind me in homeroom because he said yes the year before, so I thought he'll probably say yes again this year. So, and he did, thankfully. And he, I'm so glad that he's the one who said yes because he arrives that night and he has his tux on and he looks so cute and he has just cleaned up so well. I am hunched over a sewing machine, still trying to get this dress done. 
and he arrives, and I'm like freaking out. And my mom and I go back to our closets, and I can only imagine we think we're going to find a fairy godmother in there because there is not going to be any dress for prom in these closets. But we confirm I do indeed have to、uh, sew this dress. So I do. I finish it. I get dressed. We go to prom. We have a good time. And the only reason I was able to do that is because he's one of those people who made me take the deep breath, laugh, and approach it and think, "Okay, I can do this." And so that should have been the life lesson right there.、It、took me another 12 years, though, to realize that's the type of significant other I need in life. So. Twelve years later, I fall in love with this guy—exactly that type of person—and he was a Navy corpsman. So, as you can imagine, if you have a military husband, they go on deployments, and his, the last deployment of his career was a whole different ballgame. It was—we、uh, had a three-year-old daughter, a one-year-old son, and a dog. And he was going to go to Afghanistan, and I was going to be alone in this town that was not my town. With no family, no friends, nobody like that close by, no no cavalry to call in. So 24/7 with the three those three beings and me, and I had to keep my shit together that whole six or seven months. So there's all of these long set like stories. Like as I look through my Facebook posts from that year, it looks like the slow demoralization process. It's this beautiful journal of how it got worse and worse and worse. From oh we're doing all these things to help my kids like. Get ready for this and, and survive the deployment. To like, my daughter is wedged between the shopping cart and the checkout counter next to us, legitimately stuck. While my son piles、uh, all these chocolate bars at my feet, like pulling them down, and everybody in the commissary is looking at us while my daughter's back there wailing and crying. And it's hilarious now, but at the time I was like, there's nothing else inside of me to give. And so what really caps off this whole time. Is the last week? It's the home stretch. My husband, or I, my husband's going to come home, and I start feeling sick. The day before he's supposed to get back home, I go to the doctor, and she walks in, and she has this sympathetic smile, and she kind of half laughs and says, "You must feel like hell. You you tested positive for two strains of the flu, and everything was in me. I'm like, I do. I feel so horrible." And she, she's like, okay, we'll set you up with some Tamiflu. That'll help you feel a little bit better. Hopefully, you can go out to actually meet your husband tomorrow. Great. I wake up the next day. Next morning, I wake up and my eyes are crusted shut. I've got pink eye, and then my nose is still all snotty and red, and my voice is all deep. And then I start itching. I'm like, what is the matter with me? I itch all over. Well, what was wrong is I'm allergic to Tamiflu. And、I、ended up with a rash from head to toe, so I get to go meet my husband that night for the first time in like six or seven months. And despite all of that, that was like the happiest day of my life, except for maybe the birth of the kids and all of that, because there, there, there was that certainty. You know, I'm risk averse. There's certainty, and I get to go get my partner. And my partner is the same boy who waited for me for prom way back in 1991. Waited for me for 12 years to get my act together and realize that's the type of partner I need in my life. And he was going to walk off that bus, see the physical manifestation of the hot mess that I am, and he was going to help me take that deep breath again, get my act together, 
and laugh, with, laugh about all these situations and be my partner in the mess it is to have a family. Thank you. All the winners from this year's Open Mic Story Slam events will return to compete for the title of Best Storyteller in York. Tickets for our events are available on our website, yorkstoryslam.com. While you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. Please also follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at York Story Slam. As well, you can find us on Facebook and watch all videos of the stories from our events on our YouTube channel. We hope to see you on stage soon. Thanks for listening. This Story Slam podcast is produced by Carla Wilson of Wilson Media Services. Theme music composed and performed by David Wilson. You can learn more at wilsonmediaservices.com.